0: Rise now as we are called our Heavenly Father. <coughs> that call this morning comes from Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so it cannot be moved. Your throne is from of old, you are from everlasting. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us respond by singing praise to him, taking our hymnal and turning, first of all, if you need it, to 570, praise God from whom all blessings flow, and then uh, 212, come thou, almighty and then 212 come thou almighty king help us thy name to sing We thank you that we have been given the privilege and the responsibility to approach you, to enter into your presence in heaven, in the Spirit, on this your day. We thank you, Father, for calling us out of darkness and into your marvelous light and calling us away from the busyness of the week to stop, to rest at your feet and to worship you we acknowledge that you are the audience and we are the performers enable us cleanse us prepare us equip us to honor you we have gathered in the name of your son jesus christ and we thank you for the privilege of being in your presence and we pray O lord that you would grant us your spirit as we just sang that you would give comfort to us and strengthen us and equip us to glorify you on the earth as you are glorified in heaven. We thank you, Lord, for that purpose, and we pray that we would fulfill it now for your glory's sake. We thank you, Lord, for your grace as well, enabling us to do so. And so we pray that you would enable us, that you would set our hearts aflame for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Please be seated. And this morning, uh, we're working our way, uh, we're we're covering a little bit of the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, questions three through five. Uh, In our preparation, or the first step, if you notice, it says the Lord propitiated our sins, so we focused on dealing with anything that separates us from God. As Scripture says, our sins separate us from God. And so this is a time to uh, get right with God, if you will, to confess our sins and to look to Jesus as the Redeemer so I'll read the light type. If you'll read the dark type. Question three: From where do you know your misery? Out of the law of God. What does the law of God require of us? Christ teaches us in Psalm, Matthew twenty-two: Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Can you keep all this perfectly? No. No, for I am prone by nature to hate God and my neighbor. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, O Lord, for your love toward us. We, ha- we understand that you have revealed yourself as love. God is love. And that everything that exists is a revelation of your love. And that you do love us. And that you desire to be glorified through our lives in that we respond to your grace with loving you and loving our neighbor. And so we pray that you would enable us to see how we have fallen short of that. How we have failed to love you, but loved ourselves instead. That we are guilty of will worship, we are guilty of being self-centered rather than God centered and other centered. And so, Lord, we do want you to please examine our hearts as you are ought to do. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would Search us and try us and see if there be any wicked way in us, and that you would, by your Spirit, grant us to us the eyes to see how we have offended you. And we also pray that you would help us also to be able to look at the cross. The curse that is due us for our sin was laid upon him. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And that death, once for all, covers in the sight of God our sin. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would enable us to hate and forsake our sins because they are displeasing to you. And that you would grant to us the joy of forgiveness. For your word says that you blot out our transgressions. You cast them as far as the east is from the West. So far have you removed our transgressions from us. You've accepted us in the Beloved. We are your people and the sheep of your pasture. We are your children. We are the redeemed of the Lord. And so we come with rejoicing and singing now, thanking you for the forgiveness we have in Christ. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. And so let's do it. Let us... uh, uh, celebrate the forgiveness we have in Christ. Uh, hymn number 431. And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? 431. Let us stand together and sing. came down from heaven. Shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And notice the footnote, Catholic means universal. We believe in the universal body of Christ from all ages. So also you will find in your bulletin a little half sheet. Uh, we are working our way through the canons of Dort this year. And we have uh, covered uh, the positive elements concerning the f- third and fourth heads of doctrine that is, positively speaking of the corruption of man, what the Bible has to say about uh, our conversion to God and how that comes about. And so now we are in the second section of this, uh, these heads of doctrine, and that is refuting the errors of those who started the argument in the first place. So again, historically... Uh, There was those in the Reformed Church in the Netherlands that asked to be able to teach certain doctrines. They submitted it to the church. The church church met for, was it two years, and then came back and said, no, this is what the Bible teaches, and then went point by point through all the things that they were asked to teach and refuted them. And so here we have paragraph 3 and paragraph 4, again, uh, uh, dealing with a couple of those errors as we're looking at uh, total depravity and grace and regeneration and all of that. Uh, So I'm going to read the light type. If you will please read the dark type or the the people part. Um, The true doctrine having been explained, the synod rejects the errors of those who teach that in spiritual death, the spiritual gifts are not separated from the will of man, since the will in itself has never been corrupted, but only hindered through the darkness of the understanding and the irregularity of the affections. And that these hindrances, having been removed, the will can then bring into operation its native powers. That is, that the will of itself is able to will and to choose, or not to will, and not to choose, all manner of good which may be presented to it. This is an innovation and an error, and tends to elevate the powers of the free will, contrary to the declaration of the prophet, the heart is deceitful above all things, and is exceedingly corrupt and of the apostle, among whom, sons of disobedience, we also all once lived in the lust of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind. The synod rejects the errors of those who teach that the unregenerate man is not really nor utterly dead in sin nor destitute of all powers unto spiritual good, but that he can yet hunger and thirst after righteousness and life, and offer the sacrifice of a contrite and broken spirit, which is pleasing to God. For these things are contrary to the express testimony of Scripture. Ye were dead through your trespasses and sins, and... Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Moreover, to hunger and thirst after deliverance from misery and after life, and to offer unto God the sacrifice of a broken spirit, is peculiar to the regenerate and those that are called blessed. Okay. So we are continuing on in the refutation of errors. Question, do you have a teachable spirit? That's a good question. Calvin, John Calvin, we don't know much about his conversion, but that was the one thing he said that he noticed in himself was when he noticed that he before was obstinate. I know everything, I know it all. And God gave him a teachable spirit and humbled him. And so that should be a question that you should ask yourself. Do I have a teachable spirit? Um, if so, then we will want to know when we are wrong in order to correct our thinking. Okay. Is that true? If you are wrong, do you want to know it? There are people that don't want to know. I, my mind is made up. Don't confuse me with the facts. I know what I know because I know it. And don't bother. Is that your attitude? I hope not. I pray not. So here we see a confrontation with the idea of the free will of man. The free will of man is held to be extre- uh, to be to the supreme. Okay? That is the undeniable proof of existence. You ever run into anybody that argues that? Well, I know that I freely choose to stand over here and now I freely choose to stand over here. I freely choose to do things and so I have a free will. I know what I know and I know that I choose all the time. So why are you telling me that I don't have a free will? That's contrary to my experience. Well, and the challenge is, the man with an experience beats a man with a doctrine every day in their own mind. Okay? The Bible says, Let every, every, is it, God is true and every man a, a liar. Do we lie to ourselves? Are we self-deceived? Yes. So here we are dealing with uh, the exaltation of free will, and paragraph four is dealing with the denial of the corruption of the will of man. Notice that it says that uh, the will is only hindered. And in a sense, they're saying God's grace is given to everybody. Everybody has grace, and so everybody now has a free will. That's their argument. Notice, what is the answer? Number one, notice that the focus for the answer to this error is the heart. In other words... Do we freely choose to do things all the time? Do you freely choose to do whatever you delight to do at the Yeah, we do. So in that sense we do have a free will. We freely choose what delights our heart. In the unregenerate man, what is the heart? Who said that? God did. Right? Jeremiah right there. What does it say? The heart is deceitful above all things, and uh, one translation, and desperately wicked. Who said that? God said it. Again, God evaluates the heart of man, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, before the flood, and 8, verse 2, after the flood. And he says, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the day. Who said that? God did. God's evaluation of the heart of man is only evil all the day. So, what does that mean? When I choose to do something which is a reflection of my heart, what do I usually do? Almost always do, as an unregenerate, always do. I do evil in the sight of God. If you go on to Heidelberg Catechism, question ninety-one. It says, well, what is a good work? What is something that I can do that is pleasing to God that's a good work? And it says it has to have the right motivation, the right goal, and the right standard. You can do the Ten Commandments. You can keep the Ten Commandments. But what's your motive when you do? Is your motive because I believe in Jesus, true faith? Is your goal the glory of God or the glory of self? I can do something good. I can choose to do something good with the wrong motive. Does that make it good? No. With the wrong goal, does that make it good in the sight of God? If I'm doing it for self, is that good in the sight of God? No. It's like a triangle, a fire triangle. All three parts, heat, oxygen, and fuel have to be there. You take any one of those away, and guess what? The fire goes out. Take away any one of those three, and the good of the work goes out. Do you understand that? Only those who are regenerate have true faith. Only they have a heart that's been changed, that can choose to do good in the sight of God. Does that make sense? That's what they're arguing here in our our answer. Secondly, paragraph four, there is a bold denial on the part of the Arminian party of the clear scriptural teaching basically what I just described. Thus we need regeneration. We need to be born again. We need God's resurrection power applied to us in order to be saved and to will and to do of his good pleasure. So the question to you today is are you born again? Has has God granted unto you life from the dead? Paul says, as we quoted, "We are all born in sin. We are all dead in sin, including he included himself." And then he says, "But God, who is rich in mercy, with which His great love, with which He loved us while we were yet dead, He made us alive." Has He made you alive? Are you born again? Let us prepare our hearts to again worship our God. And in particular, it is the work of the Holy Spirit that causes regeneration being born again. So let us celebrate. We're focusing on the Holy Spirit today. So if you'll once again turn in your hymnals and turn with me to hymn number 391 Come, O come, thou quickening spirit. 391. Is this tune we know? Do you want to play through it once, please? Please stand. Come, oh, come, thou quickening spirit, God from all eternity. Turn in your Bibles to our text this morning, that is Ephesians chapter 1. We've been working through this huge paragraph that Paul wrote, focusing on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and their person and work in our redemption. So I'll begin reading in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1. Hear now the word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. In love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to, the good ple- to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him, also, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory, But God's word abides forever. Amen? Amen. Praise be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for these wonderful words that you granted unto us to hear read today, that you put into the heart and onto the pen of the Apostle Paul. We pray, O Lord, that they would even more importantly be written into our hearts today that these things would be planted like seed into our hearts, that we would understand the greatness of your grace and glory in Christ. And we thank you also that you have granted unto us the Holy Spirit, who is here, who is with us, who abides with us, sent by the Father and the Son, as we said. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do the work Uh, Do that spiritual heart surgery that that we need. Uh, Grant unto us the ability to submit to and hear and receive the grace and be changed to be made more like Jesus Christ. So we pray that you would change us from glory to glory into the image of Christ through your word. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, when I mention the word inheritance, what comes to mind? What is an inheritance? What do you think of? Inheritance. Well, negatively, have you ever heard the statement, you've never really known a person till you divided an inheritance with him? If you don't know what I mean, ask me about that. I have some good examples for those, but I won't go into those. What is an inheritance? Someone leaves something to somebody else. Pretty simple, right? Well, in our passage, we're reading about, and the word inheritance pops up again and again. Positively, the purpose of an inheritance is to give a future and a hope for somebody else. It's to pass on something to somebody else so that they can use it. Hopefully, for the glory of God. Do you know that in many ways, this is your inheritance? Well, we're reading the New Testament, right? What is the New Testament? What's the Old Testament? What's the Testament? Have you ever heard of the Last Will and Testament? This is God's inheritance to you. Do you appreciate it? Do you read it? Does it guide your life? Do you look for Jesus? Do you speak? Do you, the, is this part of the conversation you have every day with God? He speaks to us through his word, and you speak back through prayer? This is a great one of the greatest, if not the greatest, inheritance that you have. Do you appreciate it? I pray to God that you do. My uh, main point is there in the bulletin in the outline. Our Lord Jesus Christ declared to the Apostle Paul that he was sent to the Gentiles to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. What is this inheritance that God promised to give? What must you do to qualify to receive it? How is the Holy Spirit involved in this great gift of love? Paul answers these questions in our text today. And so as Paul is writing, what he is doing in this letter, he's writing to the Ephesians church that he's been ministering amongst for three years and then is now in prison, possibly, probably, And he's not able to be there and minister to the saints. And so he writes this letter to continue on uh, ministering them. And one of the things that he's doing is is when you look at chapter 4, verse 1, you find he says, therefore, and from that point on, he begins to talk about how do you walk? How do you apply? Uh, So, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling where which you're called. So what he's doing now in chapters 1 through 3 is, well, what is the calling that you've been called? And he spends three chapters describing what it is to be in Christ. Did you notice how many times as we read that passage, in him, in Christ, in the beloved, in him, do you see, did you catch that? I tried to emphasize it when I was reading it. Is that key for Paul? And yes, he, he actually uses that phrase 67 times in the New Testament, so it's important to him. Is it should be important to us? If you're not in Christ, where are you? In Adam, in the kingdom of darkness, dead. You understand that? So, all mankind is either in Adam, we're all born in Adam, we're all born dead, or in Christ. And so, Paul says, this is important. Okay, so... He's talking about motivating us to godly living because of who we are in him and what he intends for us. The reason that I live and move and have my being is for the glory of God. Okay, there's the sermon right there in one says, Why are you here on earth? Are you here on earth for yourself? That's what man says. It's all about me. Or are you here on earth for God's glory? and the glory of his grace, as Paul says, and I would argue the latter. So, he has created us, he sustains us, he has redeemed us for his purpose and glory, and the question is, do you know him? In other words, are you living in relationship with him, with that being the goal of your life? We talked about that. What's the goal of doing anything? It's the glory of God. It's the revelation of God. It's a revelation of his grace. Is that your goal in life? Is that your goal for being here? Why are you here right now? Is it for the glory of God? Or is it for some other selfish purposes? Examine yourself. So the three points in the sermon, one is grace, two is faith, three is love. Okay, so we're focusing on grace right now. Do you know what God has done for you? And do you appreciate it? This passage speaks of the blessed triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We worship and serve Him. And He has determined, amazingly, He has determined to bless His creation, His masterpiece. Do you understand that? That everything you see around you, everything you experience, everything that there is, is part of the masterpiece of God. Paul writes in Philippians, we are his work of art, his poema in the Greek, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. You ever think of yourself as a masterpiece? That God is... The greatest artist that ever will be is working in you and shaping and molding you. He's the potter and you're the clay. And he's working the greatest work of art in the world, each one of us. And all of creation reflects that too as well. You ever stop and say, thank you, God, for allowing me to see your masterpiece, to hear your masterpiece, to smell your masterpiece, to touch your masterpiece. He's working all things together for his glory. We are his work of art. When did, the, when did God start working with that work of art? According to Paul, from before the beginning. Look at that. Blessed be the God, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So when did Christ start working with you? Or when did the Father start working with you? Before you existed. Before there was anything. He determined your purpose, your existence. He chose you. In Christ, those who are in Christ. Before, in the beginning. He foreordains whatever comes to pass, according to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, for his own glory. In our catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism, in question number 26, speaking of the Father, it says, Why do you, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? "...that the Eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who of nothing made heaven and earth with all that is in them, who likewise upholds and governs them by His eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ, His Son, my God and my Father, in whom I so trust as to have no doubt that He will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul." And further, that whatever evil he sends upon me in this valley of tears, he will turn to my good, for he is able to do it, being Almighty God, and willing also, being a faithful father. So God is working all things together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So God here in the text chose those in Christ. He predestined... Notice that, that statement there. He predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. But notice I read it. It's better to translate it this way. In love, having predestined us. The commas and the periods are not inspired. They were added by the translator. In love, predestination, God loved us before time. Romans chapter 8, if you want to look that up. In love, he predestined, he adopted, he made acceptable. Is that important for us to know that? To understand that the Father, from all eternity, has a purpose for you. He created you, he loved you. The Son, again, those phrases, in Him we are redeemed. He has bestowed grace upon us. He has revealed his will. He's gathered together individuals into the family of God. He gave the inheritance. How do you know you have an inheritance? Because he's given us the down payment. What's the down payment? The Holy Spirit. Can you think of a better down payment? The person of God, the Holy Spirit dwelling with us. Do you understand How precious that is, that the Holy Spirit chooses to dwell with you and me. How often do we grieve the Spirit by our sin, and yet he still is with us? Do you ever say, I'm sorry, Holy Spirit, please forgive me for grieving you? Do you ever say that? Should you? Yes, he is a person. He can be grieved. And that's who we're focusing on today is the Holy Spirit. So again, in our text... Notice what he says in verse 11. In Christ we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise do you know these things let me so here's the application do you meditate ever do you ever stop and just think about that You ever talk to god and say thank you father for loving me from eternity thank you jesus greater love is no man than this that he would lay down his life for his friends but he laid down his life for his enemies we were his enemies he laid down his life for his enemies making us his friends You ever say thank you? Thank you that I am adopted. My identity is God is my Father, and I can cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit has been given me. Do you ever say thank you for that? Do you ever meditate on, again, like I said, the abiding work of the Holy Spirit? That's what Paul is uh, motivating us by focusing on what we have. Second point. Are you in the line of faith? Well, here's a good question. What is the purpose of your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ? What's the purpose of God giving you faith? Well, it's so that I be saved. Is that the purpose of your faith? Of the grace of faith that God gives us? It's about me. When I I say it that way, is that is that the right purpose? Is that what Paul is saying in our text? That the purpose of you exercising faith in Jesus Christ is so that you be saved. That's the purpose. True or false? Yes or no? False. What does Paul say? For him. For the praise of the glory of his grace. So the purpose of, of your salvation, your exercise of faith, is to glorify God. That's the purpose. Now, in the process, do you get blessed with salvation? Is it the result of the purpose of God being executed in your life? Yes. But it's not the primary purpose. It's not about you. It's about God. Is that humbling? Is that hard to hear? Are we naturally self-centered? Anybody here not naturally self-centered, please raise your hand. I'd like to talk to you about that afterwards. We all are, right? What is the unholy trinity? Me, myself, and I. Okay. Paul is reorienting our minds saying, no, it's all about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit being revealed in your life, through your life. Okay. I know for some of you, you've heard this over and over again, and I apologize, but it's important. Um, So again, did you notice in our scripture reading in Isaiah, there was a couple statements that he made in Isaiah chapter 43 that we read in our devotions beforehand. Again, I'll read them, I'll point them out to you. In Isaiah 43, 7, everyone who is called by my name Are you called by his name? Has the name of God been placed upon you? Have you been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Is that name on you? You're called by his name, whom I created for my glory. I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Why has God made you? For his glory, for the revelation of himself. Again, verse 21. This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. Do You think Paul possibly drew from those two passages in his letter here for the praise of the glory of his grace? I think so. Remember that faith didn't start with you. You're not the first person that trusted in Christ, are you? Paul says in our text, we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. So guess what? It's not all about you. Who is the first that trusted in Christ? Is it Paul? Is that who he's referring to? Did Paul Paul first trust in Christ before the Ephesians? The answer is yes, that's true. But is that what he's talking about? Is he talking about the New Testament saints? Is he talking about the apostles or the New Testament? What about Old Testament believers? Did Abraham trust in Christ? Was he justified by faith in Christ? Paul says so in Galatians and in Romans. The basis of justification by faith is Abraham's faith in the promise. I believe Adam was saved if if you want if that you're interested in that you can talk to me later he heard the gospel he believed it and he responded anyways so there were is, is that the first to trust in Christ well the answer is yes we are not alone there is a great train or cloud of witnesses a multitude that can't be numbered yet individually purchased redeemed in Christ we're following the great train history of those that are redeemed, those that are saved. As Paul, as a writer to Hebrews says, we are encompassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses. And what is the context of that? The hall of faith. Chapter 11. Here in particular, the amazing thing for the audience is how the Gentiles are now united with Jewish believers. Those who have trusted beforehand are now connected with these dirty dogs called Gentiles. Anybody here a Jew? Anybody here have Jewish background? No? So the Jews looked on all of us as dogs. Did you know that? And they're not puppies. We're talking about mangy coyotes kind of thing. That's how they treated Gentiles. You're just a bunch of dogs. But now, amazingly, we are the people of God. Isn't that an amazing thought? Imagine what the Jews were seeing as they were seeing Gentiles coming to faith in Christ. and got them mad. You saved dogs, God? Yes. Jew and Gentile united in Christ. Isn't that an amazing thought? For the, new first, uh, for the first century Jews, it was radical. Think of. Peter going to Cornelius. He couldn't even go into his house, and yet he goes into his house, and there he, he sees that God is working in these Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit falls upon them, and they see what, he sees the same thing what happened to them in Pentecost is happening with these Gentiles. And Peter says, who is I to argue with God? You know, these Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ. Who am I to stand in the way? God, you can't save the Gentiles. They're only the Jews. They're it, Right? That's what's going on here. This letter is to Jews and Gentiles in Ephesus that are one in Christ, that are trusting in Christ. How? By the work of the Holy Spirit. Notice again our text. It says, You, in whom, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That Holy Spirit of promise is a reference back to Joel, chapter 3, the promise that Peter quotes in Acts, chapter 2, at Pentecost. You've been sealed, like us, with the Holy Spirit of promise. So my third point. Hang in there. We're getting there. How are we doing on time? Pretty good. All right, third, love. How can you express your appreciation to God? Number one, sanctify work of the Holy Spirit. He's the guarantee but what is the guarantee doing? Is he just it? Is he... You'll notice I answer my own question by saying he. He's a person. Is he working? Is he working in your life now if you're a believer in Jesus Christ? What is he doing? Is he just focusing on you? Uh, Kuyper, um, wrote, uh, Abraham Kuyper wrote this way concerning the Holy Spirit. Thus, radiating from the sanctification of the redeemed, we see the work of the Spirit embracing in past ages the incarnation, the preparation of Scripture, the forming of man in the universe, and extending into the ages the Lord's return, the final judgment, and the last cataclysm that shall separate heaven from hell forever. In other words, the Holy Spirit was working, is working, will be working, okay? He is constantly working. Some people treat the Holy Spirit as having been asleep for 1,900 years and only woke up in the 1906 Welsh Revival or Aldersgate or um, Azusa Street. Is that true? Has the Holy Spirit been asleep for 1,900 years, or has he been working throughout time? I would argue from creation to second coming, new heavens, new earth. And he's working to sanctify us, but he's got more on his plate than just you and me. He's working all things. One of the things that I, I wonder, uh, in Scripture talks about the Spirit as restraining until he's taken away. Is the Spirit, in a sense, the restraint on our country? Are we seeing it being pulled back? Is that one of the reasons why things seem to be going crazy? Lately? I don't know. That's just speculation. So the work of the Spirit is multitude, is manifold. So how do we respond? How do you respond to the presence, the power, and the work of the Holy Spirit? Number one, I've kind of mentioned already, acknowledge Him. He is there with you. He is there in you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You understand that? He's working in you. He dwells in you. We are in Christ and the Spirit is in us. We're new creatures in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, including now we are the temple. All of us together, gather together as the temple and individually as well. Acknowledge Him. Talk to Him. Listen to Him. You are never alone. In other words, interact with Him. Some The non-Christian would say, you're crazy, right? Some, Some people, some Christians would say, you're crazy. I'm supposed to focus on Jesus, yeah. What does Jesus send? The Holy Spirit. And he says, when he's there, I'm there, right? So number one, acknowledge him. Number two, as I said before, listen to him. He's called the Spirit of Truth. He is your personal teacher, Again, what struck me one time is as I'm reading the Bible and I read, hit there uh, the, that you don't need a teacher; you've got the Spirit. What hit me was, oh, wait a second, who wrote that? The Holy Spirit. Oh, you mean the Bible is God's? Uh, is the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible through forty different authors? Yeah. Oh, I have the author with me. I can ask him. What he meant by this passage that I don't understand, he wrote it. Isn't that an amazing thought that I can talk to the author personally and say, you know, I'm really confused by this passage. I have no idea what you were saying here. Can you please explain it to me? Do you ever do that? I do it all the time because I don't know that much. I rely on the Spirit to help me to understand his word. Do you? Listen to him. Through the Word of God, read, memorize, meditate, call to mind. That's what meditate is, right? Meditate isn't emptying your mind of everything. It's filling your mind with the Word of God. That's what Psalm 1 is talking about. His delight is in the, in the instruction of the Lord, the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. He ruminates, he uh, mutters, it is literally in the Hebrew he, he mutters back to himself the word. He speaks it out loud. Do you do that? Do you, do you speak back God's word to yourself like a cow chewing its cud, right? Seven times? Listen to him. Thirdly, let him deal with your sin and idols. He is the Paracletus, he's the helper. And I have a lot of scriptures for that. God's, uh, Jesus says that he's sent into the world to convict the world of sin of righteousness and judgment. He's holy. What does he want you to be? Holy. Does our text say so? Yes, he says, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. Does the Holy Spirit want you to be holy like himself? Be ye holy as I am holy. Is that in the Bible? Does he desire to have you being changed to be more like Jesus, who is holy? Let him deal with your sins. He says, walk in love. Do not grieve him. Again, Ephesians chapter 4, which we'll cover in the future, 430. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Love Him. Remember that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. In conclusion, some people really like it when I say those words. In conclusion, again, reading Kuiper. How are the multitude of the elect to attain their final perfection? The answer to this will indicate what is the Holy Spirit's action upon all other creatures. The answer cannot be doubtful. God's children can never accomplish their glorious end unless God dwell in them as in his temple. It is the love of God that constrains him to live in his children by their their love for him to love himself, and to see the reflection of his glory and the consciousness of his own handiwork. This glorious purpose will be realized only when the elect know that they are known, behold their God face to face, and enjoy the intense happiness of close communion with the Lord. We cannot attain our highest destiny unless the Holy Spirit dwell. In us and operate upon the inward organs, organisms of our being. He's working. Is he working in you? Do you say thank you? How often do you say thank you? Catechism says, How am I to be saying thank you to God for such redemption? One of the ways is by acknowledging. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord. We thank you for this portion of your holy word. Thank you for the reminder that we, have, we live and move and have our being dwelling in Christ and in the Spirit, and we are called to walk in the Spirit and not to fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would enable us to overcome, to battle as you have called us to, that work of sanctification, that the Spirit is working in us, but yet you call us also to fight. So we ask, O Lord, for your grace, that we would be able to, as was said, to acknowledge and thank him, but also to commune with him and to trust him and to look for his guidance. We pray that you'd enable us to walk in the Spirit. We ask for your blessing now, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's respond to God's word by giving of his tithes and our offerings. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you, and once again, we present to you these tithes and offerings, representing all that we are and all that we have. It is our way of being able to say that the earth belongs to you and everything in it, and that we are but stewards of the manifold grace of God, including these tithes and offerings, ability to work and to be successful in work. And so we do pray that you would receive these And in receiving them, you'd receive us as we desire for your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that you would use these tools, these resources for those purposes and those purposes alone. We thank you, Lord, that you have also uh, called us to pray as the people of God. And so we thank you as the people of God by coming into your presence and asking and seeking and knocking. As you command us to. And so, Father, we do come to you as your children, and we look to you for all things necessary for life and godliness. We pray that you would hear our prayers for your glory's sake, because that's why we pray is for your glory. And so we ask, O Lord, that you would enable us to walk in the Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for providing for us our daily bread, enabling us to physically get around. We thank you for not only food and drink, but also breath and life, for relationships with with one another in the body of Christ and without, for the multitude of blessings that you have given to us. We pray that you would enable us to glorify you in the use of these things, in the interacting with them. We do pray in particular for difficulties and trials that we are facing or that others that we know are facing as listed in the bulletin, We ask, O Lord, that you would heal, that we ask you, Lord, that you would strengthen and equip. We ask, O Lord, for victory over sin and death. We ask, O Lord, for your mercy in time of judgment. We ask, O Lord, that you would protect us from all evil, deliver us from all evil, grant unto us the ability to overcome against the world the flesh and the devil. We pray, O Lord, for those in authority over us. Uh, We pray for parents as they bring and educate and raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We pray for children, that they would be able to respect their parents and those in authority over them, whether school teachers or whatever. We do pray, O Lord, for those who exercise authority. We think of employers, we think of teachers, we think of police, we think of various civil governments. Um, we pray for our elder Uh, Dan, and pray your blessing upon him, and we pray that you'd raise up more elders and deacons here in the church. We pray, O Lord, for those who are responsible to you and will give an account. We pray, O Lord, that you'd enable them that they would be able to do so with joy. We thank you, Lord, for the grace that you've granted unto those uh, that we have prayed for. We've seen many answers to prayer positively. We We thank you, Lord, for the recent weddings uh, of uh, Mr. and Mrs. David Wojtek and Mr. and Mrs. Caden Cox for their recent weddings, and we pray your blessing upon their nuptials. We uh, pray for David uh, as he prepares for his ordination um, in the end of September. We pray for your blessing upon that and his settling into that new job. We pray for Caden as he settles into this new job for him as well. Pray your blessing, protection. We do thank you, Lord, for providing for us constantly. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would enable us to live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us respond in our closing hymn, uh, singing hymn number 394. Again, speaking, uh, singing about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, or the God of truth, eternal Spirit, Re. 94, do we know this too? You think so? Okay. I trust you. Receive now God's blessing and benediction from the words of Jude. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now.